0: What's up, everybody? Uh, you're listening to Ronnie versus the World. I am your host, Ron Pashery. I'm going with the second week of the quote-unquote greatest hits of Ronnie versus the World. I'm going to do five of them total, so this is going to be the second one. They're not in any particular order, uh, but the one I'm doing this week was an episode I recorded as like an afterthought and a throwaway when I had like a really long weekend, and it ended up being like a lot of people's favorite Episode that I ever did. I believe it was like chapter eight, maybe chapter nine. Uh, my 86, I think it was chapter eight. Uh, my 86 days at Rena Center. I figured this weekend I am sick in some form or fashion. I don't know if it's allergies, I don't know if it's a cold, but I've been feeling pretty rough all weekend. Been running around doing Uber Eats all weekend and just got done, uh, at my dad's house celebrating uh, my sister's birthday. So I haven't had much time to really put thought into which one I wanted to use this week or to, like, re-listen to one and kind of come up with some secondary or new ideas about it like I did last week. So I figured, all right, I used it as a throwaway the first time. I might as well do it this time while I don't have the time to, like, prep a a short intro. So... I'm gonna play that in just a minute. I do want to say, I said last week that like this, you know, version of Ronnie versus the world, whatever it was, is coming to an end soon. I don't know what is going to replace it, but I'm go. I am going to be doing something else. I've been doing a lot of thinking. I've been kicking around some ideas. None I'm gonna mention yet. I haven't really run them by anyone yet. Um, but I'm working on something. And I'll have something soon. I don't know how many of you care. Honestly, I don't know how many of you are are even still listening. But uh, anyway, that's going to be it for me for tonight. Oh, I will say I shaved about three and a half inches off of my beard a few days ago. It feels very strange. I feel naked without it. I am not used to my reflection in the mirror. I'm not used to what my shadow looks like without the big bushy beard. Uh, So I'm a little self-conscious about it. But It was something I wanted to do. I wanted to know what the shape of my face was. I wanted to know what I actually looked like as opposed to my face being half face and half beard. So there's that. Um, And I am going into overdrive on looking for a full-time job. And hopefully once I could do that and find something a little bit more stable and consistent... I'm hoping like the other areas of my life where I'm struggling will start to feel uh, a little bit better. But um, I wish I had something more entertaining or more interesting to talk about right now. But that's going to be it for me for this week. And hopefully you will listen uh, for the next whatever it's going to be, 30 minutes or so, uh, for my story about Renaissance. Center. Like I said, if you heard it already... You probably enjoyed it because I got universal positive feedback on that one. So I hope you'll listen to it again. And if you haven't heard it, from what I hear, you're in for a treat because this was apparently a really good episode. So if you have any thoughts on it, any comments on it, if you want to share anything or have any questions for me about it, feel free to reach out. But that's it for me and enjoy Chapter 8, My 86 Days at Renna Center. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ronnie vs. the World. I am your host, Ron Pashery, and this week I will be discussing my 86 day career at Rena Center. Uh, It was an exciting time back in 2013, did not last very long, Uh, but before I get into that, just real quick, uh, thank you anyone who has been listening from the beginning, thank you to anyone who just started listening last week, I greatly appreciate anyone taking any time to listen to this, it means a lot to me. Um, Please subscribe on iTunes, please leave a 5 star rating and a review on iTunes, Thank you to the people who have already done so, and to anyone who plans on doing so in the near future, thank you for that, and don't hesitate to, to reach out, whether you have a, a listener question, a comment, uh, some feedback, a critique, um, open to all of it, you could reach me at RonnieVTW at gmail.com, and at VtheWorld on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, I actually have my first listener question this week about my 2017 Philadelphia Eagles episode. I answered it on the new Facebook segment, Leftovers. So if you have not checked that out, please do so. It is right on the Facebook page. I believe it's the most recent thing posted. Try to keep it to between five and ten minutes, just kind of wrap up some ideas from the show the previous week. Um, and... A couple more things before I get into the, the Renaissance Center stuff, which I know everybody is just dying to hear. Uh, one, I'm trying to get better at this, and I'm very reliant on having notes to kind of get me through, and I want to try to get myself off of notes and go a little more from my head and my heart and... This week I have less notes than normal, so bear with me if this is not quite as organized or as coherent as most weeks. I figure the audience isn't big enough yet where I risk losing a lot of audience members, still pretty much starting from scratch, so I figure now is a good time to just try to actually work on this. So bear with me if it's not the same quality that you maybe have come to be used to on this show the previous seven chapters and the prologue episode. Uh, On Saturday, I took a road trip up to Long Island, specifically Greenport, which is literally all the way at the very end of Long Island. And my trip from Philadelphia to Long Island, I didn't realize that getting into New York State was only going to be the halfway point of that trip. It was quite a drive, but a nice drive. And Well worth it because I went to Greenport to the North Fork TV Festival to watch the screening of a TV show called Alive in Denver. Has not been released yet. It was created by someone named Mike Levin, who I've mentioned on the show before. He's one of the co-hosts of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, uh, a podcast that means a lot to me. It has really kind of helped helped me move my life forward in in a few different ways. But Mike is a writer right now for the, a show on NBC called Trial and Error. It just finished its second season a few weeks ago. I recommend everyone checking out seasons one and two. It is a very funny show. I kind of say it's like a cross between Parks and Rec and like Law and Order or something like that. If you like... Parks and Recreation, you will enjoy this show If you like Law and Order, but also like silly comedy You will like this show So check out Trial and Error Um, But I went up to watch the screening of Alive in Denver And it was a a lot of fun It was a really funny show The, The premise is the apocalypse is imminent A meteor is about to hit Earth within minutes This group of friends in, like, their early 20s are sitting around waiting for the end of their lives to happen together. They kind of reveal some of their to-the-grave thoughts and feelings, and the rest of the show is now about the fallout from what they have revealed to their friends. And, like I said, very funny. I think it's really cool to balance a big subject like the apocalypse with absolute silliness. I also love the idea that it's silliness, but there's also this tone of we thought we were going to die, we didn't, and we have another chance to kind of restart our lives. And they're, they're just like a great balance for each other, the silliness and the weight of the concept of getting to start again. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know balance is something I'm a very big fan of. Uh, We got to see the first two episodes uh, in Greenport on Saturday. Uh, I got to meet Mike for the first time. I got to meet Mike's parents and they could not have been nicer people. They could not have been more welcoming people. And it really touched me how supportive they are of Mike. It's just a really great thing to see someone's parents support them in that way. So that was very heartwarming to me. And I just kind of have to comment very quickly. I met Howard Eskin back in 2011, I believe it was, or maybe 2012 at the Winter Classic when the Flyers played the Rangers at Citizens Bank Park. And Howard Eskin has a certain persona on sports radio here in Philadelphia where it seems like most people don't like him, even though he gets has always gotten incredible ratings on the radio. And when I met Howard, he was incredibly friendly. He was open. He was not exactly like the persona you hear on the radio. He listened to what I had to say. He had an honest human conversation with me. And I walked away from that thinking this guy is a really nice person. And have come to, to meet Spike and have a few interactions with Spike Eskin over the past year. And can honestly say that is a genuinely nice, kind-hearted person who's trying to help people. And Mike, now that I've had an interaction with him, I see the same thing. Very, very kind-hearted person. And it makes me happy that something I enjoy as much as the Ricky and something I support as heavily as I do... Is something that's done by really great people And it's also cool to see that I think these two people who host that show Are great people because they were raised by great people So that kind of circle of life I find very nice to see And now that I've had at least one interaction with their parents I see kind of where they get it from So that was very nice to see It was a really fun day It was a fun road trip. Obviously, I have a lot that's been going on lately, a lot of anxiety. So a road trip where I just got some time to sit by myself and think was very much needed. Greenport, a beautiful small town on Long Island. I really enjoyed my three-hour stay there, four-hour stay there. Um, And I would even consider going back for the North Fork TV Festival uh, next year. But I just kind of wanted to mention that about Mike and Spike and just wanted to reiterate that they have kind of been an influence in some improvements in my life over the last couple years. I don't need to give a ton of specifics because that's not really the topic of this show. And maybe I will do a podcast at some point solely devoted to the rights to Ricky Sanchez. Um, so Renaissance. Center. I've mentioned before that I worked at Borders up until September of 2011. The company went out of business, and I was unemployed. I tried my hand at freelance sports writing. I had a modicum of success, but not quite enough where I didn't actually need a job. And I got to the very end of my unemployment, and I was like, oh, I got to find a job. And I just started sending in applications and resumes everywhere and was not getting a lot of callbacks. I consider myself a good writer. I consider myself a good communicator. I am not good at writing a resume. I don't know. I think because I've never had a job that I really cared about. So I don't know how to put down on paper that this was something great I did at one time. I write it very much like I did. Th- I worked here, I did this, I did that, and then I didn't work there anymore on this date. And that's kind of what my resume has always looked like. And I believe if I can get an interview, I can get a job regardless of my resume. But sometimes my resume is not enough to get me an interview. Um, but the one place that called was Renaissance and specifically a location in Claymont, Delaware, right past the Delaware border. You drive out of Pennsylvania into Delaware, and you're in Claymont. And I got the interview. I tried to get there. I left a little bit earlier than I needed to, just thinking, I don't know what traffic is going to be like. Pull into the parking lot, and I'm just sitting there in this lot for about 25 minutes. That's how early I was. I'm looking at the Renaissance, center which is to my left. I'm looking straight ahead of me at a Goodyear. And then to my right, it is what used to be a Wendy's. You could tell it has the facade or the template of what a Wendy's restaurant would look like. But there's nothing inside it. And I'm just looking there, looking around, and just have this feeling that I've had a couple other times in my life. I'm not supposed to be here this is not a place where I'm supposed to be. But I had an interview scheduled. I go in about 10 minutes early. I meet the store manager there whose name, we'll call him John Tudor for the sake of his privacy. So I sit down with John Tudor, have an interview. I know I'm doing really well based on his reaction to me. I could tell he's enjoying talking to me and Eventually, he starts talking about Philadelphia sports, which is right in my wheelhouse, and I know right there he wants to hire me, and then he eventually says so, that he wants to hire me, and I know I don't really want to work here, so I make up a bit of an untruth and say I already have an interview scheduled. And I have an interview scheduled for, I don't know, maybe I interviewed there on a Monday. I think I said I have an interview scheduled for next Monday. So I want to at least honor that interview, and then I'll get back to you afterwards. And thinking I'll buy myself a little more time for maybe some type of callback or something, doesn't happen. I end up having to call back on that following Tuesday. Okay, uh, okay, John, I will... I'll, I'll take the job at Rennes center and they decide to start me on the Friday before the Super Bowl. I don't remember which number it was, but it was when uh, Joe Flacco and the Ravens defeated Colin Kaepernick and the San Francisco 49ers. Um, interesting Super Bowl where the power went out. But anyway, the, my first day, uh, the, this, the Friday before Super Bowl Sunday... I walk in there and I immediately can tell that John Tudor sees me as like the future of Renaissance. I am like the golden boy and he's talking to me already about how to become a store manager and some of the benefits of being a store manager. And I'm just thinking like, dude, I, I don't even want to be here right now, let alone make my life about this place. Uh, I also want to apologize. I probably should have done this at the very beginning of the show but I apologize now because it hasn't happened yet. For the first time in Ronnie versus the world history, there is a high probability of some cursing and foul language because I will be recounting some stuff. And I don't know if I can tell it as effectively without the colorful language. So hopefully that doesn't upset you, but that's what's going to happen most likely. So I'm talking to John Tudor about being a store manager one day Meanwhile, as he's teaching me how to operate their computer system in their register, I am not paying any attention. I'm not retaining any of it. When I tell you I actually got to day 86 and I still really didn't know how to operate their system, I am not joking. I'm not trying to be funny. I was still asking coworkers for help to do stuff 86 days On this job. That's how little I cared and how little interest I had in actually ever really allowing myself to feel like I was a part of it. So I meet my two new co workers. There were only three of us that actually worked in the store. One was named Marvell Wynn, and another was named Bobby Bonilla. And you may be noticing a little bit of a theme here. Not everyone, but a few people who are maybe around my age. Who collected baseball cards? Every name I am using to protect the innocent is a memorable name from the 1987 Topps baseball card set. So get ready for a couple more references to that. Uh, but Marvel Wynn and Bobby Bonilla. Marvell Wynn was a guy who was maybe like five, six years younger than me. And Bobby Bonilla was actually a woman who, who was, I think, a couple years older than me she I went with Bobby bania because Bobby could be a girl's name, and Bania sounds a little bit like her last name, so Bobby bania is a girl for anyone who didn't see that one coming um, met them, I thought they were really nice people. I really liked them uh, from the jump, and there was this like weird thing like weird sense I got that John Tudor was not super fond of Marvel or. Bobby Benilla, and it was kind of rubbing me the wrong way immediately. Like I didn't want to be here already, but now I'm getting this weird sense that this guy is like kind of a dickhead and was not was like not a big fan of it. So obviously, me being the person I am, I'm really trying to to be friendly and kind of build somewhat of a working relationship at least with my two coworkers because I'm never going to be the guy who I guess the way I want to say this is there's enough to deal with at work. There are enough headaches, there's enough annoyance that you shouldn't have to deal with it from your coworkers. So I try to do my best to make the work environment fun and enjoyable as much as it could be that. And I try to make sure that I am never causing any problems or any more headaches for my coworkers. That's like a very important thing to me. But so day one, Friday before the Super Bowl, Day two is the Saturday before the Super Bowl, and we were all told to, to come in wearing football jerseys. I wore my old McNabb jersey that I hadn't worn in a couple of years. Um, we were grilling up burgers and hot dogs on a George Foreman grill in the store. We had a lot of business, a lot of people trying to rent big TVs for their Super Bowl parties. And I was not really entrusted with doing any selling. I was still more shadowing uh, Marvell and Bobby Benilla. And day comes to an end. And I realized really quickly after my second day, the hours there were nine to seven. And that was just the store hours. So we had to be there early enough to actually open the store and then actually do stuff after the store closed. So I feel like my life was like waking up to go to work at 8 a.m. And then, or actually earlier, I was probably waking up to go to work at like 20 after 7 to be like out of my house by 8 to get there by 8.30. And then getting home after 8, like probably 8.30 almost every night. And that's literally like your whole day. So coming off of unemployment, unemployment, I have all of this guilt and, like, an inferiority complex. Like, I didn't work all this time. I deserve this, and I just kind of ate it. Like, this is, this is my life now. My life is just work. And hated this schedule. I hated that it was literally, like, my entire life was getting taken by this place. But, again, I felt I deserved it. So, day three is the Monday after the Super Bowl. And Marvell Wynn called in sick on this day. I believe he said he had food poisoning. Uh, I'm not going to knock him too much, but to me, the day after a Super Bowl party, food poisoning, I don't know. It's like a little bit too obvious of an excuse. I think he could have done better. Um, I would have done better personally had I called out on Monday had that not been my third day. Although I'm not going to pretend like there wasn't a part of me that was ready to already not show up on day three. But day three, there was someone that got called in from another store to fill in for Marvell Wynn. And we'll call him Ruben Sierra, uh, formerly of the Texas Rangers. Again, 1987, Topps baseball card set. So Ruben and I were kind of partnered up all day. We had to do this big delivery for a customer Wally Backman Um, Wally had Put in an order for a Television For a washer and dryer set And a dining room set And Ruben and I dropped this stuff off And Mr. Backman Is Not a nice guy at all Now Ruben is black I am white so all of the ire that Mr. Backman, who is also white, all the ire that he has is geared towards Reuben. And at a certain point, I kind of had enough and told Mr. Bachman like, settle down. I'm new. I'm not going to get uh, too feisty right away. But I kind of told him to settle it down a little bit. We had an issue hooking up the, the washer to his sink. We eventually got it fixed, and that was that. And I hoped I never had to see Mr. Backman again. I was hoping this was my last experience with him. And another person that I met was the regional manager, and we will call him Cecil Fielder, uh, pretty large built man. And so Cecil Fielder seems like a good name for him. Cecil sat down with me, kind of asked me some questions about, you know, where did I see myself going? How did I end up here? And I felt like Cecil was real skeptical of me immediately. I don't, I didn't know why, but I just felt like I didn't feel like he and I were seeing eye to eye right away. And within two weeks of me starting here, John Tudor is doing this weird thing where he's, Telling Marvell and Bobby Bonilla to be more like me And all I can think is like, dude, I don't even know how to work here yet I don't even know how to ring up a sale You haven't even let me try to sell anything yet These guys are still trying to teach me One, why are you trying to pit us against each other? I'm not going to allow you to make them resent me I'm not going to allow you to put me in a position where These guys think I'm better than them. And I promise you the reason was because I am white. I was going to say I was white, but I still am. And Marvell was black and Bobby Bonilla was Latina. So I did my best. Like we'd get in a, I'd get in a truck with one of them and I would do my best to kind of, you know, do one of the things I do best, which is talk about the boss. Um, Tried to try to let them know like I'm one of you I'm on your side and I tried to build this culture from within where it's like we are together. Don't let this guy kind of pull us apart. He's really nobody. He's just some guy who's a store manager at a -a renaissance store. We're all people. Let's just be people and we can all get along and do what we got to do to get through the day. But I'm not I'm not here for us all being made to be enemies of each other for no reason. So had a huge problem with that, and I actually had to talk with him about it at one point like to stop doing that. Um, within a couple more weeks, I finally have been entrusted to be out on the floor as a salesman, and I don't really want to do it. I'm very personable. It's weird. I have a side of me that's introverted. I'm really bad at being able to initiate a conversation, like cripplingly bad at it. But once a conversation has been started with me, good luck trying to get me to stop talking. So I'm not a good salesman because I don't care enough about anything I've ever sold where like it ultimately comes down to either I'm going to win and get this person to buy it or they're going to win and find a reason not to. And I've just never cared enough to like consistently win that battle. So this woman comes in. She's wearing a pair of glasses She wants to see a TV. I start showing her this Samsung TV. I am selling my ass off telling her about the blacks on this TV and the color contrast and the depth in the picture. And I put in this movie. I wish I could remember what it was called. It was one of those kind of corny, like horror movies from like the 2010 11 range. Has a name, something along the lines of, like, the cave or the ruins or something like that. Almost positive it's neither one of those because I've tried to watch them both, and it never was the movie I was thinking of. But I put in this movie because it's the first DVD I could find to put in. And the first scene, which is perfect for selling a TV, it is a young woman jogging on a beach. The camera is facing out towards the ocean. Very wide panoramic shot. And it looks gorgeous. And then literally within one second, it cuts to a shot of a woman walking out of the bathroom naked. So I have this customer with me who's now watching this naked woman walk out of the shower on the screen in a store in a business setting. She doesn't really know how to act. I don't really know how to act. I'm still trying to sell the TV and ignore the fact that there's a naked woman on the screen. I maybe should have pressed stop. But to me, that was like, too much of an acknowledgement of what happened, and I didn't want to acknowledge it. So eventually, she wins the battle and walks out without buying a TV. And that was my first attempt to really sell something at Rena center which went really, really well. Uh, that was probably about 21 to 25 days in, and another month or so goes by, another four to six weeks. And I've talked to a lot of people in the store I've talked to a lot of customers who we've either delivered stuff to or picked stuff up from. I've talked to people on the phone. We had like, I don't even know what you would call it, some kind of reception, maybe like a customer appreciation reception one night. That, you know, I met a lot of people that were like really nice people, like really grateful for getting to get that new couch and maybe us bringing it into the house and setting it up exactly where they wanted it or like really happy and appreciative to get this like huge TV that they could watch the Super Bowl on or you know the new bedroom set for their son or daughter a lot of like really great people that I met who like I really thoroughly enjoyed my interactions with I had a couple people actually make me breakfast when I delivered stuff or I'd go to, to fix something that was wrong between their TV and their sound system and have had people offer me meals and stuff like that, and I got to sit down with their family. There were also some, like, really, really horrible people who I don't even want to really go into it, just terrible people. Um, but the night before Easter of 2013, so this is, like, April – I was like really struggling with, I had kind of learned a lot of lessons while I was unemployed. Like, a, like a lot of things that were more important than work, a lot of things that were more important than money. And I didn't really, I guess I realized working at this job, I kind of lost all of that. I gave all of that up and you know, like even something, for instance, while I was unemployed, my, my father had a heart surgery and I was, when he had that done, I had like another five weeks, I think, before I got my job at rent center And while he was going through like the roughest stage of his surgery, I was available all the time to him. Like I was able to be the one who drove him to the hospital. I was able to be the one that eventually drove him home. I was hanging out with him at his house all day and watching TV and just talking about stuff and going outside for a walk with him and walking, walking the dog. And to me, I was like really appreciative that I got to be there for that. Um, if I had a job, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been that way. And so I kind of was resenting the fact that I lost the ability to do things like that. And so the night before Easter, that Saturday night, uh, myself and my brother-in-law, Bayard, were, I'm not going to make him a a 1987 Topps baseball card character. Um, We were standing out front of my house, drinking and looking up at the stars and the moon and kind of just talking about the universe and how expansive it is and how we are so worried about the least important stuff down here on earth. And we get stressed about the most insignificant stuff and worried about it. And we waste so much time on it. And we, we came up, I don't know if we came up with this name or this was a name he said, someone else had given it. But the, the term we were throwing around that night was the plastic world, which is basically everything that everybody else expects you to be or expects you to have. And, I remember telling him like, dude, I am done with this job. Like it is not going to be much longer before I'm not there anymore. Like I'm, I'm just not doing it anymore. And it kind of that conversation, there was a lot more to it than that. Um, but having that conversation with him was like slightly freeing a little bit, like where I knew he kind of understands where I'm coming from. And he kind of understands the way I'm feeling right now. And it was like this little bit of reinforcement that, like, you're not wrong for wanting to get out of that environment. You don't have to stay in that environment. That doesn't have to be what your life is. And a week later, uh, less than a week later, actually, that next Friday, so six days later, after the store closes – Uh, We are told by John Tudor That we have to gather into the office We had a mystery shopper The previous month So we sit down, they put in the little DVD So it has video of The interaction, whoever it was in the store That had an interaction with the mystery shopper It's on video So He pops in the DVD And who do I see on the camera But me Talking to the lady with the glasses Who wanted to buy a TV could not believe it that my first attempt to sell was with a mystery shopper and the mystery shopper a couple minutes into the video. They have to black out the video with some actual text on the screen saying this had to be edited because there was brief nudity during, during this sale. I won. This is one of my favorite things that's ever happened to me. That my first sale was to a mystery shopper And the mystery shopper was the woman I showed the nudity to in the movie And everybody was like on the floor laughing Couldn't believe it Even John Tudor was like I should be mad at you for this But it's too funny for me to actually be mad And little did I know That would be the last time I was ever there for closing Uh, The next day, a Saturday Uh, We got a call from, let's see, what did I name him? Wally Backman. Mr. Backman was very upset that his TV uh, was broken. It fell off of his TV stand and the screen shattered. And he wanted to return it. And he wanted to return everything he had rented uh, a couple months before. Everything that Ruben Sierra and I struggled to get into his place, which let me tell you, This was not a house. This was not an apartment. This was at something called, I believe, the Highland Motel, which you can actually see from I-95. I think it's like somewhere right around like the Betsy Betsy Ross Bridge exit. It is a motel that has the only entrance in to where this guy's apartment, quote unquote, was was a cast iron staircase that was maybe about 20, 25 feet high and had the width of maybe just enough to fit two of me in sideways. So not a lot of operating room between the railing and the wall to get up this staircase. So I get sent on this mission, even though I didn't want to see Mr. Backman again, I get sent with Bobby Bonilla, who, let me remind you, is a maybe five foot tall woman who she does not feel like lugging all this stuff down these stairs. I mean, I really don't feel like doing it either, taking all this stuff apart. But anyway, we walk in there, we take out the washer, we take out the dryer, we take out the dining room set, and then I go to grab the TV and notice that it is not there. So I approach Mr. Backman and say, uh, "Mr. Backman, excuse me, I'm sorry. Where is the where is the TV?" And he says, "Well, what TV?" I said, uh, "The TV that you called in and said broke that you wanted to return." He said, "Oh, well, it broke, so I threw it threw it in the dumpster." And I said, "Well, you threw it in the dumpster." He's like, "Yeah." I said, "Well, you you didn't own that TV. You were renting that TV." We need to take it back to the store. You called us to take it back, so why isn't it here? And so I don't really know what to do. I ask Bobby Benilla, "Hey, well, what are we supposed to do here? Has this ever happened to you?" And she says, "I don't, I don't know. Let's uh, let's call John Tudor." So she doesn't want to call him because she doesn't like this guy. I really don't want to call him, but I do. I say, "Hey, uh, John Tudor, uh, we're here with Mr. Backman." He says, when the TV broke, he threw it away. He threw it in the dumpster. And he says, okay, well, you have to call 911. I said, what? 911? Because of the TV? He says, well, yeah. I said, and, wh- and what am I supposed to say? He says, I'll just say it's, uh, it's theft of rental property or whatever he said. I'm like, are you serious right now? You want me to call 911 in this guy's home? he says yeah that's what you have to do you can do this and I'm like uh okay so as I hang up the phone with John Tudor Wally Backman starts yelling you're gonna call 911 what are you gonna do I said Mr. Backman settle down yes I'm gonna call because that's what I was told to do well what's gonna happen I said Mr. Backman I don't know what's gonna happen I've never done this before we'll both find out together settle down I call 911 and I open the conversation with this is really stupid, which is probably not something 911 operators hear a lot. But this is really stupid. Uh, I work for Rena Center in Claymont, Delaware. <laughs> this guy, this customer, has thrown away a TV that was property of the store, and my store manager told me to call. What am I supposed to do? And they say they're going to send uh, an officer over. Just wait. And I say, uh, okay, I guess I'm just waiting here then. And Mr. Backman is getting very disgruntled. And he keeps taking, like, steps closer to Bobby Benia, who, again, is like a five-foot-tall woman. And I see him take, like, another step, and I say, Mr. Backman, take a step back from her. If you have anything you're angry about, anything you want to say, say it to me. Like, leave her out of it. And he, again, starts, like, yelling and screaming what's going to happen. I said, Mr. Backman, I don't know. A police officer is on the way, and we're going to find out together. And, again, takes another step towards Bobby Bonilla. I say, sir, take a step back from her. We're arguing a little more, and he takes another step towards her. And I say, Mr. Backman, sit the fuck down on your couch now. I don't want you near her sit down. And he sits down on the couch. He keeps quiet and police knock on the door. I let them in. They take me and Bobby Bonita out in the hallway to describe what happened. I'm laughing the whole time at this point. They talk to Mr. Backman inside. They ultimately tell me, you know, tell your store manager, uh, To contact the, I think it was like the Chester Police Department I don't even remember if it was Chichester, Whatever it was, uh, John Tudor was going to have to contact them to follow up So I can't believe that all this has happened Um, I walk down to the truck and we're closing it up And making sure everything's packed in there securely To bring it back to the store And I look over at Bobby Bonilla and she says, thank you And I said, for what? She said, just, just thank you for everything that happened in there, for handling everything that happened in there. And we get in the truck. We, we, we haven't driven away yet, but I get in the truck. I call John Tudor, and I say, you know, uh, they, the, the police department came. They said that uh, they'll file a report, and you, you should follow up whether you want to come in or call them there. They said to call them at the department. And he says, well, did you find the remote? I said, uh, when would I have found the remote? He said, well, when you search the apartment. I was like, you wanted me to search the apartment? He said, yeah, that's what you have to do. I said, well, you can come and do that if you want to search the apartment. I'm done there. And we get off the phone, and we're driving, and I look over at Bobby Bonilla, and I said, have you ever like just been somewhere and you knew you didn't belong there? And she says, yes. I said, I've never felt more like that than I do right now. And she said, yeah, I kind of feel that way, too. And she said, I said, oh, you feel like you don't belong here. And she said, no, I feel like you don't belong here. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, you just seem like someone who should make your money from what you know, not what you do. And nobody had ever said something like that to me. I knew what she meant. And... I was just thinking like, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I, I can't really there. I don't know enough about anything to make money off of what I know. So I have to kind of be a workhorse or a beast of burden for the rest of my life. But anyway, she said it. I just kind of, kind of let it go. And I told her, or no, we actually got a call back from John Tudor saying we had another customer who wanted to return stuff go to their house and pick it up. And I look at Bobby Bonilla and I say, you know what? I really don't, I I don't want to do that. I said, honestly, I I think I'm just done. And she said, what do you mean? I said, "I, I, I think I'm quitting. And she said, well, if you quit, I'll quit. So we drove around in the truck for a couple hours, maybe a few hours, never went to that house, I don't think. Go back to the store. I walk in, grab my jacket, and start to walk out. And John Tudor says, hey, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. He says, are you coming back? I said, "Uh, probably not. And walked out, drove home, and that was the end of it. 86 days in, that was that. I was four days away from health insurance. I think I was also four days away from a raise. Um. We should all have health insurance, honestly, whether we have a job or not, but that's a topic for another day, maybe. Uh, but I walked out, I quit, I was done that quickly. I had had enough, I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. I realized it and got out of there. Uh, within a few days, uh, Bobby Benilla quit, she moved on. Uh, I helped Marvell Wynn find another job somewhere, and Bobby Benilla then filed a lawsuit for discrimination because he did talk down to the two employees who were of different ethnic backgrounds than himself. She filed a discrimination lawsuit against him and I kind of helped her with some of it, some of the stuff she wanted to say and he ultimately got fired. So I somehow managed to bring the Claymont Delaware uh, branch of Renaissance Center to its knees, single handedly. Um, I heard after I left, Cecil Fielder, the regional manager, said that he knew I was not going to be there long. He said, I knew this was just a stop along the way for him. And it's weird because these two people who I didn't really know that well, like, solved things in me that, that I didn't. I thought, like, I'm going to just be stuck here. Even though I didn't want to be, even though I didn't think it was going to be my life, in my mind, it was like I don't know what else there is. So, like, this is it for me. But they saw that it wasn't. And another thing that happened is when I was helping Bobby Benilla with her stuff for her lawsuit, I had left the job. I found a job, like, within two days But unfortunately, I never actually started that job until about eight weeks later and didn't get paid for like 11 more weeks. So I had a lot of stress and anxiety at the time. And I was like meeting her in Delaware to help her go over some of her stuff and rewrite some of her statements. And I was getting to a point where it was like, I don't I can't mentally handle this anymore. Like, and I don't even know how to really explain it. But the one day we were sitting there and she said, I don't know how many more times I'm going to talk to you. I said, well, why do you say that? She said, you just seem like if things get too hard, you, you just don't do them anymore. And when she said, I acted like she was wrong, but when she said it, it was like a punch in the stomach because it was right. Like I've said on this show before, no one has ever really stopped me from achieving anything. I've always found a reason to stop myself. I've always gotten to a point where it's like, I feel really unsure if this is going to work. So let me stop before I technically fail. Or I'm terrified of some type of rejection. And like I will stop myself short of whatever the thing is I'm working towards. And it was like this... It was like she saw, like, saw into my soul almost, and that was the last time I ever spoke to her. I like, couldn't handle that someone had that read of me, and I never talked to her again. Um, but I did hear from Marvell Wynn. I think I actually called the store one time, or what did I – I don't know. I got in touch with him. Oh, I, I remember. I wanted to, to give him tickets to a Sixers game one time. And he said that, uh, John Tudor had been fired and Cecil Fielder was actually temporarily running the store. Um, so I don't know. It's like, right after that, I waited all that time to start my next job. I finally did. And then That job was, like, very peaceful, very calm, and I was kind of applying some of the lessons I was talking about when I spoke to my brother-in-law about the things that really matter and what my priorities were, and then three months after I started the job at the airport, I started my job that I just recently left, and instead of, like, actually learning those lessons and applying them to my life back in 2013, it's like I just flushed them down the toilet and just... Dove into being a beast of burden again And work is all my life is about And lost sight of everything else And It's like now I have another Second chance at life Much like uh, what I talked about With the show Alive in Denver Where these people avoid the apocalypse And now they get a second chance To kind of live their lives knowing We could have died yesterday Or we could have died last week or last month But we didn't And now we get a chance to live with that knowledge that we aren't guaranteed to be here, you know, much longer. And a a reason why this is interesting to me that the whole second chance at life and like this time I'm really actually embracing it. I actually learned a lesson on that trip to Greensport or in Greenport. It's not Greensport. I keep saying that it's like a Philadelphia thing, like people calling. Alshon Jeffrey, Alshon Jeffries. I don't do it with athletes, but apparently I do it with Greenport, uh, New York. But so I apologize, Greenport, for for getting your name wrong. Um, but the thing that that's that I learned, uh, Mike and his writing partner—I'm almost positive his name is Patrick. I'm like blanking right now, but. They were being asked questions about like making the show and writing the show and the distribution of the show. And what happened with Alive in Denver is Mike actually started writing it in 2011. It was inspired by the Mayan calendar 2012 apocalypse. That's like where the idea came from for him. So he was working on this thing seven years ago. And at some point, I don't remember the exact chronology, but it was an idea that Warner Brothers wanted to run with, and then it never got made. And then a streaming service called Fullscreen wanted, they actually filmed it. Like they got eight episodes of the show filmed, and it was supposed to premiere on Fullscreen, the subscription service. I guess it's sort of like a Netflix type company. And before it ever premiered, Fullscreen folded and went out of business. So now Mike is trying to acquire the rights to it which it's his creation, but I guess maybe there's some legality in they funded it being filmed, like they filmed it, so maybe they own part of it or they own all of it, I don't know. But Mike has been taking it to different TV festivals to get it seen and hope he could find a platform for it. But in the Q&A, he actually broke down this story, and all I could think about was how much I related to that. I didn't realize he had worked on it that long. I didn't realize how many like steps forward and steps back the journey to get alive in Denver produced had. Um, and I found it like really inspiring and relatable to me because I'm trying to get somewhere. I don't know how exactly yet or where exactly it is I'm trying to go. But it's just it just kind of was a really good lesson about, you know, there are going to be hurdles in the way but you can't stop trying to get over them. And so I don't know that Mike Levin will ever hear this, but like, thank you for, for that because it was something I really needed to hear like at that time that trying to get somewhere is worthwhile. And sometimes it's really easy to lose sight of that when you're not seeing necessarily the results that you want to. Um, So I'm looking at, like, right now, this is another second chance for me. I plan to take full advantage of it. Um, And I don't have, like, a huge, like, lesson or learning experience this week for everybody, but I just kind of want to make one thing, like, very clear. You don't need a huge life event like a near-death experience or a job loss or, you know, the loss of a loved one to start anew. All you need to do to start anew is like just, you just have to be able to wake up tomorrow. And if you wake up tomorrow, that's an opportunity to start anew. And like I said, I'm taking advantage of my opportunity right now. And maybe my opportunity is a little different than anyone listening's might be because I don't have a job to go to uh, on Monday morning where I assume most of you do. Or if you don't have a job to go to Monday morning, maybe Monday night or Tuesday morning. Um, so I don't take that for granted that I probably have a lot more time to try to start anew than most of you do. But starting anew doesn't have to be a whole life overhaul. It, it could just be like one little thing that's the first step to starting anew. So wake up tomorrow and be prepared to do at least one thing that's going to make your life a little better Or even just your day A little better um, That's really all I have uh, Don't forget to subscribe On iTunes Five star ratings and reviews Are greatly appreciated Check out Ronnie versus The World Leftovers on Friday On Facebook Five to ten minute segment I kind of address feedback And answer questions And address any maybe ideas I had Like after I hit stop On this recording I'm going to go sit down and think of 10 things I wish I said but slipped my mind. And those are the types of things I'll throw into Leftovers. And listener questions, I had one last week. Hopefully I get another one this week. I guess we'll see. And also, I am no longer announcing next week's topic on this show as the hook for Leftovers. I am going to announce, continue to announce the topic of the following week's show, On the leftover segment. So tune in on Friday to find out what next Monday's show is about. That is Ronnie versus the world. I am Ron Pashery, and I'll see you next week. Can't share my air, I walk a mile in the pair I wear And I'm getting better year by year, like they say wine do Cops couldn't smell me if you brought the K-lines through And I pace myself, I know these money hungry we b- wanna taste my wealth But I keep them on a diet, embrace they health Or even keep them on a the quiet and space myself And just take a deep breath I got them grabbing their chest, cause it's hurting them to see fabbing his best, and they in they worse, they'd rather see me laying a hearse than laying the back, and I ain't just laying the verse, I'm saying the facts, I came back with some sick stones, That got these broke, looking at me like they choking on a chicken bone, heavy chick up, I- can't leave the alone, so I know it's one of them every time I pick my phone, breathe. One and then the two, two, two and then a three, three, three and then the four, four, then you gotta breathe. One in the two, two, two and then a three, three, three and in the four, four, then you gotta breathe. Breathe. one and then the two, two, two and then a three, three, three and then the four, four, then you gotta breathe, Breathe. then you gotta Then you gotta